So uh, this week we're talking about one of my favorite subjects. Many people love to talk about the subject, but we're talking about the love of God, the love of the Father. That is the theme, the love of the Father and the assurance of eternal life is the theme of 1 John. So please turn in your Bibles this morning to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. And we're going to be looking this morning at verses 1 through 10. Matter of fact, I'm going to go ahead and read the first three verses so we get our minds oriented in the right direction of where the text is taking us this morning. 1 John chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. Where John says, See how great... A love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it, does not, it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself for he is pure. The title of my teaching this morning, the title of my message that I've given, 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, is the evidence of the Father's love. The evidence of the Father's love in our life. And this is part one. The evidence of the Father's love in our life, part one today. Next Sunday will be part two. You see, when the Father's love invades your life, it changes everything. It radically changes everything. It's not just this religious belief or this new thought in your mind. It changes your whole entire life. And that is the point that John is making in this epistle. I asked you this morning, how has he changed your life? How has he changed your life? I, I, I remember so clearly in 1992, I was in the Navy. I was a sailor. I lived a sailor's life. I lived a typical sailor's life, living in darkness, living for the weekends, living for what I could do for the, on the weekends. And then I got radically saved. And all the things that I once loved, I now hated. All the partying all the carousing and promiscuity and uh, all the sin, the, the things I once loved, I hated. And the things, I, the things I, that I didn't care for, church and God and the Bible and all that stuff, now I loved it. I couldn't get enough of it. I, on Friday nights, I was at the bar in Ocean Boulevard before I got saved. After I got saved, I was at my friend Joseph's house doing Bible studies and listening to worship music. But there was this radical change. In 1 John chapter 3 that we're looking at this Sunday and next Sunday, there are 24 verses. And the word love is used nine times. The word beloved is used once. And what John is so beautifully laying out in our text this morning is the evidence of the Father's love that should be manifested in every believer's life. So as we study this chapter this week and next week, we should see these evidences in our life, or we should at least see the desire to go in this direction by the Spirit working in our life. I counted myself, you count for it yourself, but in this chapter, I counted nine evidences. This morning, we're going to look at the first three. So let's dive in. 
1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. So the first evidence of the Father's love, I'm going to present it to you, the evidence, and then we're going to talk about it, is this. The ungodly world will not understand you and likely reject you. Okay, let's break this verse down. Verse 1 is actually two sentences. There's a period in there. The first sentence says, see how great the love of the Father has bestowed upon us. John's magnifying the love of God. He's magnifying the love of the Father. Because the Father's love is a holy love, is a perfect love, is a life-changing love. It's an infinite love that cannot be measured. So whatever your, ever how your brain measures the love of God, it's a million times greater. It's that much greater. It's a transforming love. It's a love that's been poured out into our hearts through the cross. That was how he demonstrated his love for us, according to Romans chapter 5, verse 8. It says, God demonstrates his own love for us, and while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. But what I want you to notice, capture, is the thought that John is putting forth in verse 1. He magnifies the love of the Father, but then look at the second half of the verse. He says, for this reason, the world does not know us. What reason is that? The Father's love. Because of this great love that the Father has bestowed upon our lives and poured into our hearts, you and I live differently. You and I live differently than, than the ungodly world. And that living differently from the ungodly world causes us, causes them, better yet, to not understand us. To not understand the things that we are passionate about us. They look at us like, man, you are weird. <laughs> you always loving church. You always loving the Bible. You always loving to help people. You always wanting to serve people. Man, spend some time on yourself. But the Christian way is to give our lives to serve the Lord and serve other people. You see, the world's love, you need to understand this. This is huge because I think we're getting it mixed up at times. The world's love and God's love have nothing in common. They're, 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 they're polar opposite. They're polar opposite. The ungodly world gives people the right to take innocent life in the womb. The ungodly world's love celebrates sexual promiscuity and immorality. The ungodly world's love is a sinful love that God has no part in. Why? Because the Father's love is holy, it's perfect, it's life-changing. It's from above and not from below. The Father's love is characterized by this, family. Justice, goodness, and righteousness. And the Father's love poured into our hearts causes the believer to hate sin and hate immorality. The Father's love in our hearts and in our lives causes us to love justice. We love justice. We want things done right because the love of the Father. We want goodness. You know, we, we, we want God's goodness manifested in the world because the love of the Father. And we want his righteousness. That big, that big theological word, righteousness, I'm going to give you a simple phrase so you can remember it for the rest of your life, what righteousness means. Righteousness means 
according to Ray Comfort, says it's simply a right standing with God. A right standing with God. We love the gospel. We love Jesus. We love to share the gospel. We like to say, hey, man, this is how you can be right with God. This, is, this will bring peace to your soul. This will bring forgiveness. This will bring everlasting life. This will bring God's absolute best upon you in this life. That is the Father's love. That is the Father's love. And that is how he wants to change us. That we go from loving sin to loving righteousness, loving justice, loving goodness, loving mercy, loving the things of God. Let's look at verse 2. Verse 2 says, so number one, I said I was going to present to you uh, three evidences of the Father's love in our life. Uh, It's either in our life or it's growing in our life. The first one is the world won't recognize us because our love in our heart comes from above. Number two, I'm going to go ahead and give it to you up front, then we'll read the verse. The second evidence of the Father's love is you and I, we look forward to his return. We look forward to his return, and not only that, there's an added benefit for me and you, our transformation. Our transformation. A brand new body. A brand new body. Let's read the verse. Getting ahead of myself. Verse 2 says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. The second of the nine or ten evidences in this chapter that I present to you this morning is, man, you long for his return. You long for the day when he will split that eastern sky and he will come again as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Because you know on that day, your battle with sin will be over. And righteousness and salvation will be complete because we live in these bodies that are decaying, okay? The ultimate statistic, what is the ultimate statistic in life? Ten out of ten people will pass away. Death is taking us down. But life and immortality has been brought to us through the gospel. You see, you need to understand this in this world. You're not living your best life now. This world that we live in, you and I today, including your pastor, including you, we are corrupted by sin. We are corrupted by sin. The consequences of Adam's sin, Eve's sin, and yes, your sin is taking us to our grave. That is the reality of the matter. And what you and I need is not makeup, not things to make our life better, What you and I need is forgiveness of sin. What you and I need is eternal life. How do I defeat this elephant in the room, which is death coming? You defeat it through the Lord Jesus Christ. Who else offers eternal life? Where else can you go? Nowhere. To Christ and Christ alone. Romans chapter 5 verse 12, Paul conveys everything I just said to you. He says, therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. Let me get back to my evidence. I was laying the foundation of the evidence where we're longing for his appearing. We're longing for the transformation because we're broken by sin. So the the second evidence based on verse 2 is you and I long for his appearing. 
when we, when we will be transformed. Uh, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says this, uh, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. What's the change that's going to take place? You're going to get a brand new body. No ailments, no sickness, no disease, no sin, eternal life. Death is a forgotten memory. Why? Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yes, on that third day, on that early, on that Sunday morning before the sun came up, God the Father reached down in that barren tomb that Jesus Christ laid in, and he resurrected his son. He resurrected his son from the dead. The Jew was on ice, but God raised him, the son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of his resurrection, and you and I believe in his resurrection, we're going to have a resurrection. He continues, I think I'm at verse 53, for this perishable must put on imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when the perishable will have put on imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? There will be no victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, number one, the Father's love causes us to live differently than the world. You should be able to see a difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. The second evidence of the Father's love in our life is, is, is that we long for his appearing. Okay? Now, we're not going up to the mountains and we're not packing away and digging a tunnel and you know, and, and wait, we're, we're living our lives, okay? We're living our lives. We're going to school. We're getting our education. We're working our full-time jobs. We're taking care of our family, and we're doing life, okay? And we're taking care of everything that needs to be taken care of in this life, and hunting, and fishing, and working, and, and all those good things that we do in life. But in our heart of hearts, we look forward to that day where he will split the eastern sky, and he will come again. And look at the end of verse 2, please. I, 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 got, I got to grab this in there, let you see it at the end of verse 2. What does it say? The last eight words, we will see him just as he is. Wow. Wow. To see the Son of God in all his glory. I, 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 he's still got the holes in his hands and his feet, the gash in his side. But he's not in this physical body. He's in this glorified body. What's that day going to be like when we stand before him in glory? I, I, did, I, I think I'm going to fall on my face. I think I'm going to fall on my face and say, Lord Jesus, you are worthy. But what will be your response? You know, I, have you seen Jesus? I haven't. I have, I have not physically seen Jesus with my eyes. I've only seen him by faith through the pages of scripture. But one day... We're going to see him face to face. One day, family, one day, you're going to get to see him face to face. I believe it's going to be a court of two. You know, he's not just going to welcome everyone to heaven. I believe each and every one of us is going to have an opportunity to see Jesus face to face and talk with him and look at his hands like Thomas did. Look at his side like Thomas did and to see the glorified 
Son of God. And all we can do is bow and worship and say, you are worthy of it all. Verse 2, the very end of it, we will see him just as he is. Just the same Jesus that died and rose again and ascended to the Father is the same Jesus that will come back to this world. It's going to be an amazing day. Now, so um, let's look at the third one. The, the first, remember the first evidence is the world will not recognize us because our love is from above. The second one is uh, we long for his appearing. And then John in verses 3 through 10 uh, is all the same theme, is, is all the same principle that um, John is. And the evidence is this, that your aim in life will be to please God and to pursue holiness. Let's look at it. Look at verse 3. That's the, that's the principle, the evidence of the Father's love in your life. For verse, and it's one principle, and it comes from these seven verses, verses 3 through 10. Because he, he parks on this subject of pursuing holiness and talking about sin and talking about living for the Lord. Look at verse 3. He says, for everyone who has this hope on him, he purifies himself just as he is pure. Again, the third evidence of the Father's love in your life based on verses 3 through 10 is your aim in life will be to please God and pursue holiness. To purify ourselves means that we turn from our sin. We turn from our sin and we pursue holiness. Let's be honest now. Let's be real. I know what some of you are thinking. That's hard. That's difficult. That's challenging. And to those statements, I would say, amen, I agree. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world that we're, where we're tempted, where we're, where we're pulled away by temptation. It, it pulls at our hearts. It pulls at the lust of our eyes, the lust of the flesh. It tries to pull us away. But God has made a way. God has made a way for you and I, not in a legalistic manner, but led by the Holy Spirit, walking in grace, not out, of a, not out of obedience to the law, but out of love for Christ, God has made a way for you and I to pursue holiness and to pursue him with all of our heart. I want to give you three ways God has made a way for you to pursue holiness, three of them. Number one is the power of the cross. The power of the cross. Before a person comes to Christ, before a person gets saved, they're in shackles. Satan has them bound up in their sin, and they are incapable of breaking free. I remember those days. I loved my darkness. I loved my sin. It had me deceived, okay? It had me deceived. It wasn't until God opened my eyes. I was like, oh, my goodness, what am I doing with my life? I'm wrecking my life. But when a person comes to the cross, trusting in Christ, by virtue of you believing in the cross, trusting in the cross, his death at Calvary, this, the chains are broken by your faith in the power of the cross. Look at verse 8. Uh, verse 8 says, the second half of verse 8 in your text, For the Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. So the first way that God has made a way for you and I to pursue holiness and to live a life of purity is through the power of the cross. The second way that God has made a way 
for us to pursue holiness is we can't forget the Holy Spirit. Family, we can't forget the Holy Spirit. We live by the Spirit of God dwelling inside of our hearts, leading us and guiding us. We do not do this. This pursuit of holiness should not come out of our flesh. It should not come out of our own will, but it should be led by the Holy Spirit. That's why before you pursue holiness, you say, Lord, help me. Holy Spirit, lead me. Holy Spirit, guide me. Holy Spirit, give me the power. Holy Spirit, give me the wisdom. Holy Spirit, give me the passion. Holy Spirit, draw me away from sin. Holy Spirit, uh, draw me away from worldly influences. Because the world grabs at us, it pulls at us, entices us, and it tempts us from the outside. But you have the Spirit of God. You have the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer in Christ and you've been born again, you got the Holy Spirit who's reminding you, walk in the Spirit, resist temptation. And I admit, there's a war going on there. There's a war going on there. Sometimes we win the battle, sometimes we lose the battle. But I think if we'll do these things, if we'll trust in the power of the cross, if we'll be led by the Spirit, we can pursue holiness here and now. The third way God has made a way for you and I to pursue holiness is the local church. The local church. Every believer should be plugged in to their local church. You need what takes place in this meeting, okay? You need what takes place inside the four walls of the church or within the collection of the body of believers. You need other Christians in your life. Why do we need the local church? Number one, you need fellowship. Man, ladies, y'all need to be loving each other, getting to know each other, praying for each other, holding each other accountable. Us men need to do the same thing. We need to get to know each other. We need to get to know each other and have fellowship. Man, when, Marty will tell you, man, we, me and him talk about it all the time. When I leave church, man, I am pumped up. I am filled up. Why? Because I've been around my brothers. And we need fellowship. We need accountability. We need a brother or sister in Christ who will lovingly, gracefully, in the spirit of truth, hold us accountable. Hold us accountable. So I can say, hey, Bob, how you doing? Now, how you really doing, bro? How you doing in that area of your life? Oh, I'm doing okay. I'm doing good. And then that Bob can ask me, hey, David, how you doing in that area you've been struggling in? And I can be honest. But we need accountability. You need it in the local church. That helps us pursue holiness and, and dedication. Discipleship. Discipleship is the whole, is the big picture of the church. Discipleship is fellowship. Discipleship is Bible study. Discipleship is worship. Discipleship is what we're doing right now, where you're growing and you're learning in the scriptures, and your heart is open to the Lord, and you're growing in your relationship with him. In the local church, we receive fellowship, we receive accountability, we receive discipleship, and there hopefully, in churches, there are Christian leaders who can counsel you and pray for you. You know, if you need help, ask. If you need help, ask. If I can't help you, I'll find somebody who can help you. You know, we will help each other. We won't judge you, but we'll put our arm around you. We'll point you to Jesus, and we'll help you down the path 
of pursuing him with all your heart. So the third evidence of the Father's love is that we, we pursue holiness. He's given us the cross, the power of the cross, coming in contact by faith, trusting in the power of the cross, where he defeated Satan and made a way for you and I to be forgiven. He's given us his Holy Spirit, and he's given us the local church. Ladies, you need ladies. Men, you need men to come around you and help you in this journey through the local church. Let's look at verse 4. Verse 4, he says, Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Wow. I can't tell you how much this Bible verse has helped me in my theology, in my soteriology, my study of salvation. Verse 4 gives us a solid biblical definition of what sin is. But what really helps me understand this verse is I want to show to you the King James translation. I'm going to show you the King James translation the top verse is the NASB, which is what I teach out of, because it's my favorite translation. But I think the King James translation captures this verse just a little bit better than the NASB. But the, look at the King James. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth, transgresseth the law, also the law. For sin is transgression of the law. So that begs the question, what is sin? You know, people will say, well, it's, it's when you, you miss the bullseye. And I'm down with that definition. There's some, there's some uh, scripture talks about we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And a lot of people will give an illustration of the bow and arrow hitting the bullseye. You, hit the, you miss the bullseye. They call that a sin. But I think, in my theology anyway, 1 John chapter 3, verse 4 gives us a more precise and biblical definition of what sin is. Look at the very end. It says, for sin is transgression of the law. What law is used in the New Testament? Not the ceremonial laws, not the Levitical laws, but we see one law that's used in the New Testament, and that's the moral law, God's law, the Ten Commandments. So what it's saying is sin is transgression of God's moral law, not the Levitical law. That's being legalistic, not the ceremonial laws, not the laws of the, from the nation of Israel in the Old Testament but the moral law of the Ten Commandments. If you want to know what sin is, look at God's moral law, the Ten Commandments. And ask yourself, have you kept those Ten Commandments? Every single sin that's created, that's not created, that, that, that man commits can be traced back to one of the Ten Commandments. And I've examined the Ten Commandments. And I stand before you this morning, and I will say, I am guilty of every single one of them. Wait a minute, Pastor David. Doesn't the sixth commandment say, you shall not kill? Yes, it does say that. It says, you shall not kill. Or, 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 do we have a pastor on the stage that's killed people? I haven't physically killed someone. But Jesus said this in the Gospels, he who hates his brother without cause is guilty of murder. The seventh commandment says you shall not commit adultery. But Jesus says in the Gospels, he or she who looks with lustful thoughts commits adultery in the heart. See, I have broken God's law, moral law, the Ten Commandments. And when I understand, it helps you understand the Gospel too, family. This, it, this will profoundly help you understand the Gospel why did Jesus die on the cross? Why did Jesus die on the cross? 
He died on the cross for our sin. He died on the cross for you and I breaking God's moral law. And according to Paul in Romans, for all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. So sin is not boo-boos, it's not owies, it's not, oh, every man's weakness and all this, that, and the other. Sin is when we violate God's moral law, the Ten Commandments. He's given us a law. The, the, the Galatians, I think it's chapter 3, verse 24, says, the law is a schoolmaster that brings us to Christ. The only purpose of God's moral law, the Ten Commandments, please hear this, or you'll go, into all, you'll go off into legalism. The only purpose of God's moral law is to show you your need for Christ. That's his purpose. Paul said the law is a schoolmaster. It is a schoolmaster. The law shows you your guilt. It shows that you're guilty like I am. And then the law points you to the beautiful gospel. Now that you're guilty, go to the cross. And you'll find forgiveness. But it comes from this verse. So sin is transgression of God's moral law, the Ten Commandments. And that's why Jesus died, because we broke God's perfect moral law. Let's continue. Verse 5. He says, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him, there is no sin. What he's saying here is, if you know the gospel, and you understand the gospel rightly, that Jesus died to take away your sin, don't go after what he died for. Don't go after what he came to set you free from. He came to liberate you. He came to liberate you. He came to break the chains. He came to set you free. Walk in liberty. Walk in liberty. We know why he, why he came. He came in order to take away our sins. And in him there is no sin. So God is perfect. There is no sin in God. There is no variations or shadows. He is pure. He's perfect. He's holy. He's without sin. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He continues, verse 6. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Now, if you take this verse, you look at this one verse, you look at it by itself, and you don't take the context of the book, the context of the chapter, you know, you could be like, oh my goodness, what is he saying here? Is, is John saying that uh, we can reach sinless perfection? That you can arrive at a state of perfection and never sin or never struggle with sin. Is that what he's saying? No. That's not what he's saying. If you go back to uh, 1 John chapter 1, I believe it's verse 8. John says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So what's he saying in verse 6 when he says, no one who abides in him sins. Uh, he's talking about ongoing, habitual, refusing to repent sin. It's a deliberate rebellion against the known will of God. He's saying, don't do these things. What it is, as Christian, you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. But what we do is we make obedience to God our highest priority. After our faith, after we've believed, after we've trusted, we say, okay, Lord, I believe you. I trust you. I love you. There's this emotional. And then out of that, says, God, I want to obey you. I want, I want to o o obey you. This is what pursuing holiness is. It's not this state of being holier than thou and, and looking at people's appearance and 
pre- pre- presenting this aura of that you're perfect. No, we're all sinners saved by grace. We all got struggles. But in life, our deepest desire is to move forward in our relationship with Christ. Let's continue. Verse 7. He says, little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. Again, the point he's driving home here in his pursuit of holiness is the, the Christian life is marked by a pursuit. It's marked by an endeavoring to practice and move forward. A pursuit of righteous living, of living above reproach, of living to please God, yielded to the Holy Spirit, abiding in the Word of God. And the title of my message, Walking in the Father's Love. It's like, it's your, it's your one consuming passion that you're growing in. Lord, I want to obey you. I want to obey you. And anybody who tells you not to pursue holiness, you need to run. Because the scripture says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. He says, verse 7, little children, make sure no one deceives you. Look at it in your text. Make sure no one deceives you. I love this, um, little children. The Greek word is padia. It's a term of, of affection, that, uh, endearment that John is using to his listeners that every pastor and every shepherd should exude and, and speak and teach in the same way. It's a spirit of love. It's a spirit of humility. It's saying, family, please, please understand this. Please understand this. Please understand what God is saying in his word. And it comes from a heart of love. It comes from a heart of compassion. It comes from a heart of truth that we do these things. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. Again, practicing that word practice, it goes back to pursuing, moving forward in your Christian life. Don't stop where you're at. Keep moving forward. Verse 8. Verse 8 says, The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Again, the point John is driving home here, all people, all people before they come to Christ, they are, it's like, it's, it's like they're under the fatherhood and the domain of Satan because of their sin and rebellion, okay? They come into this world in darkness. They come into this world, what would they, what would they call it? a sinner? But God, but God, love that phrase, but God has made a way. God has made a way to come to the other side. God has made a way to break ties with Satan and this world through the cross. You see, Jesus defeated Satan and his works at the cross. That's why we preach the gospel. That's why we don't preach legalism. That's why we don't say, you know, uh, you need to improve your life. Or you need, to, you need to work on that area of your life. You need to work on that area of your life. You need to work on that area of your life. No, we don't do that. We preach the gospel because once the gospel gets inside, it will change the entire life. Colossians 2.15 says, When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. You see, families like this, the cross is the bridge. Is the bridge that takes us. The cross is the bridge that takes us from darkness 
to light. From sin and judgment to righteousness and peace. From the highway to hell to the glory of heaven. The cross takes us from a place of guilt and a torment in mind to a place of peace and unspeakable joy. The cross takes us from being lost to being saved. That's what the cross does. Brings us back into a right relationship with God. Let's continue. Verse 9. He says, No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Are we getting the point here? It's like John is just driving this point home. He's, he's driving this same point home to us. That kind of speaks to us of how important this is in our Christian walk, that we do not entertain sin. We, we fight against it. What you and I need to do, family, we need to see ourselves as a gladiator, as a gladiator in the coliseum of life. You are the warrior. Sin is the beast that's coming out the gates. And its job is to destroy you, is to kill you. And what do you need to do in that coliseum? You're, that gla- you're, in the, gla- you're the gladiator in the, in the coliseum of life. You, let's go there for a minute. Imagine yourself there, but imagine that is life. What you need to do is you need to pick up your shield. You need to take up the sword of the Spirit. You need to shod your feet with the gospel. You need to put on the helmet of salvation. And you need to fight. Because a child of God fights. Do you take your Christianity that serious? Man, come hell or high water, I don't care. I'm living for Christ. I'm pursuing God with all my heart. And nothing or nobody is going to stand in my way. That's the attitude that Paul had. That's the attitude that Christians for 2,000 years have had. Is let nothing gets in the way. We fight the good fight. Where's that banner at? There it is. 1 Timothy 6.12. We fight the good fight. The Christian life is about a fight. It's a fight between the spirit and the flesh. And let's, let's win the battle. Let's pursue him with all of our hearts and let's fight the good fight. That The pursuit of holiness is a fight, okay? Don't sit back and oh, I'm just waiting for holiness to come along. I'm just waiting for obedience to come along. It's going to come along one of these days. It's, it's, it'll be there one day, next week, next week, next week. No, fight. Fight and go after it. Say, Lord, I'm going to live for you. I'm going I'm to I'm I'm slay the dragons of sin. I'm, I'm going to say, I'm done with this old habit. And I'm going to pray. I'm going to confess it as sin. I'm going to get my brother to hold me accountable. I'm going to read my Bible every day. And I'm going to go to a place of victory because I am in the fight. Verse 10, our final verse this morning. It says, by this, the children of God and the children of devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, you will know them by their fruits. It's black and white. If you're born again, uh, you will trust and obey. You won't be perfect. You won't be perfect. But man, it will be your desire. It will be your desire. When you fall You'll hate it. You'll be so upset and so mad. And you'll confess it as sin. You'll say, Lord, please help me. And he'll show you grace. 
He will show you grace. That's why God has instituted grace for his children when they blow it and they fall. You know, the world tells us, religion tells us, you're done, you're over. Uh, the world says, send you, wants to send you packing, but God offers you grace when you pursue him. If you're not born again, you will have no desire. You, you, you will not trust in Christ, you will not obey Christ, and there will be no desire. Again, 1 John chapter 3, 24 verses, nine evidences of the Father's love in our life. And we looked at the first three this morning. Lord willing, we'll get through those next six or seven next Sunday. But in summary, the three evidences that we see in the text this morning of walking in the Father's love, it means this. One, that we live different than the ungodly world. And the world takes note of it. Man, why aren't, why aren't, why aren't you living in sin? You know, why don't you come enjoy sin? Why don't you come do the things that we do? Because I don't want to no more. Jesus has set me free from those habits of darkness. Secondly, we long for his appearing. We, we long for his appearing. And third evidence of the Father's love is there's this deep desire in our hearts to obey him. And we put feet to the action by going to church, getting accountability, praying, asking the Holy Spirit to help, and just being real, being authentic, you know. We, we, we got to be real, and we got to be willing to be open in our struggles and ask God to help us in our, in our struggles against the flesh. And I believe when we do all those things, he will lead us in victory. Maybe you're here this morning, and you're asking the question, how can I become a child of God? How can I become a child of God and experience the Father's love? Maybe there's one person here. Maybe there's several people here. I don't know your heart. I only know my heart. But how can I become a child of God? How can I experience the Father's love? It's really simple, really simple. It can be challenging to do, but it's simple. Three things. Number one, turn from your sin. Number one, turn from your sin and repent. Say, God, I'm sorry for breaking your moral law. I'm sorry for my sin. Confess your sins and say, please forgive me. That's repentance. Secondly, um, put your trust in Christ. Put your trust in Christ. Don't put your trust in Pastor David. Don't put your trust in Calvary Chapel or in your church attendance or your offering or the other thousand things that you could possibly trust in. Put your trust and hope in Jesus Christ. Return from your sin, put your trust in Christ, and then ask the Holy Spirit to be born again. Say, Lord, please come into my life. There's an element, there's a dynamic that when we repent of our sins, put our trust in Christ, he will begin the process of sanctification as the Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, comes into your life. Have you done that? It's... it's the greatest adventure in life, stepping out of darkness into light and serving Christ. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God loves you, but our, our sin separates us, and we have to confess it and, and, and repent 
and put our trust in Christ. The, uh, the scientific evidence, the proof, the infallible proof that, that, that God loves you was displayed at the cross. You know, as a, um, I remember when Emily and Daniel were little, and they'd say, Mom and Dad, how much do you love me? And we would look at our kids, as well as I'm sure you look at your kids, we say, we love you this much. We love you this much. And we stretch our arms out. And the kid comes running into your arms, and you wrap your arms around them. Jesus did the same thing. He stretched his arms out on a cross called Calvary. And he says to you and I today and to everyone, I love you this much that I would die on the cross for your sin. And if you will come in, if you will receive me as your Lord and Savior, I will wipe the slate clean and I will give you a brand new heart. That is the gospel, friends. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you haven't done that, man, do not leave until you've done that. Do not leave this place until you've made things right with the Lord. He loves you. He loves you. And he wants to pour his love into your life, the things that we've talked about this morning, and the things that we're going to talk about next week. It gets even better next, next week. Please read ahead, verses 11 through 24. Study them for yourself and then come in with your notes and let's say, okay, yeah, I found out. Okay, I found out. But he, he will do these great and mighty things if you will open your heart to him. Um, we're going to close with a song. And uh, if you're here and you don't know Christ, there'll be prayer counselors to my left and right. I'll be one of them. And we would be glad to pray with you. And then if you're here in the body and you need special prayer, this is not just for salvation, whatever you're going through in life, if you need special prayer for anything, please give us the opportunity to pray for you during this closing song. So if you, know, if, if you need to know Christ, it's, it's for you. If you're facing a difficulty in life, it could be your family, it could be your finances, whatever challenge that you're facing, please give us the opportunity this morning to pray for you during our closing song. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Lord, I pray that you will help us all. Help us to grow in these areas and help us to live them out in our everyday life. Your love dwelling inside of us. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, Father. Amen.